0: Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca.
1: My name is Nellie, and I'll be reading scripture for you today. Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. This is the word of God. Good morning, church.
2: I want you to think about the last time uh, that you heard really good news. Some of us have good news faces, right? My, my middle son, his good news face is big eyes, mouth open. My oldest son is a bit more understated. He, he just look, looks up like this. When you, when you hear good news, like, like your child got into the school that they applied to, or maybe someone, a family member, got their visa to immigrate, or maybe your favorite team just signed an ace that's going to carry them through, and those were days of yesteryear, Um or, or you know, a family member is, uh, is coming into town, or a long-lost friend, or the government's actually giving you back money on your tax return. Imagine that. Or the old Monopoly bank error in your favor, right? Good news. What do you do when you receive good news? You do two things always. You celebrate, do your happy dance, and then you start telling somebody else, right? Because there's something about good news that when you have received it, it isn't complete in you until you've grabbed someone else and said, you got to hear this. And it's usually someone you love, someone close to you, the first person you think to tell good news to. What's so interesting is that the term good news is a term that we refer to as Christians to say what it is that we believe. And yet if I could rip the bandaid off this morning, it would seem on some level the good news isn't good enough for us. The good news doesn't seem to be good enough For people who are in the church, it doesn't seem to be good enough for people who are leaving the church, and it doesn't seem to be good enough for people who would never darken the doors of a church. The good news doesn't seem to be good enough to actually transform the people who say they believe in it. And as John Orberg says in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, what we've come to expect from each other in the church is not transformation, but status quo. We're actually shocked when we hear or see that somebody has changed. We're not being changed by it in the church, and it doesn't seem to be good enough to keep people to stay in the church. There's a study called Hemorrhaging Faith that was done by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada in 2011, and looked at the mass exodus of young adults from the church. And they said that two-thirds, 67% of people who had, as little children, gone to church every week, two-thirds of them as young adults, had left. And that 50% of those had actually left the faith altogether, said, I'm done. So the good news doesn't seem to be good enough to keep people who are in the church from leaving. And it certainly doesn't seem to be good enough to tell other people about it. And so many of us feel like I have nothing to say to my friends and my neighbors and colleagues, nothing compelling enough to make them reconsider that maybe, maybe I should go to church this week or maybe that place I run past every morning in my running club Would actually be worth going into one day. The good news doesn't seem to be good enough. And it's interesting, people seem the church seems to have responded to that in one of two ways. Either the church decided, okay, well, let's not preach bad news or good news, let's just preach bad news. (laughs) And so the church is, in some ways, is known as the people who are talking judgment and a heavy load, and that if you come to church finally after a long time, all you hear about is the fact that you haven't been in a long time. Or there's preaching bad news about, you, you know, you need to clean up your life, and you're not good enough, and you need to give more, or act more, or act better. And maybe there's bad news being preached about people who don't come to church. Oh, the godless generation, people who don't care about God, people who don't care about church. That's how, that's how some traditions and churches tend to move, is towards, well, let's go to bad news. And of course, that doesn't work when you're preaching bad news. Nobody wants it. And so then there are some church traditions who have said, let's not talk about the good news, let's just preach good deeds. And let's not try to tell other people about it or talk too much about gospel, which is is the Greek uh, word that we get good news from. And let's just try to do good things. And so we have whole movements of churches that are very active socially, helping the poor and helping the marginalized and being involved in their community, all of which is good, except the interesting thing is those are the churches that are shrinking the fastest by all the statistics we see. They say, well, let's not worry about good news, let's just do good deeds. It actually doesn't seem to be that enough people are engaged to do that. It's also not good enough. Where does that leave us? I would submit to you that the actual problem is what we've said the good news is. And and maybe this is familiar to you, but what what we've said is actually, okay, the good news starts with bad news. The bad news is you're a sinner. But the good news is Jesus has come to save you. And so if you pray and and, and pray a prayer, then he will rescue you from hell, a little more bad news, and and give you good news. You'll go to heaven one day when you die. And and many of us could say, yeah, it kind of sounds familiar. That's sort of what I heard the good news of some version of it growing up, and that's, there's a problem with that because that kind of good news actually isn't powerful enough to change your life. Because if all the good news I have is a ticket to heaven and escape from hell, I'm just going to wait around earth, and I'm just going to live like everyone else, but don't worry, I got my fire insurance, and I'll get where I need to go one day. But I think it doesn't change this day at all. Not only that, when you try to explain that version of the good news to other people, how does that go? We have got to try to convince them they're a sinner. Well, nobody believes they're a sinner. And so you talk to someone and say, you know, you're a sinner. Well, actually, no, I'm a pretty good person. You're like, yeah, actually, you are a pretty good person. You're kind of better than me. Um, but you have stolen paper clips from the office, right? Like, you know, that's... And you've downloaded a bunch of music on your phone that you didn't pay for. All of you are like, what? <laughs> it's another sermon, people, okay? <laughs> Oh, okay, well, let's not talk about sinner. Okay, but how about, um, oh, hell, you don't want to go there. So let's, let's do you want to escape hell? Well, that, that doesn't go well either. Okay, but well, let's talk about heaven. Oh, well, is there a golf course in heaven? I don't know. Let's see. Let's look up in the Bible and, uh, no, it says that um, we'll be singing for a long time. Oh, well, the, the endless church service and I'm in the choir. I remember one parent telling me that the the day that their son asked, "Well, will there there be dinky cars in heaven?" because this was his whole world. And and she, I I don't know, I don't know how I would answer that. She said, "No." He said, "Well, then I'm taking that Christian thing I said back. I I don't want to go, right? If that's And a lot of people like that. Was like, "I don't know. Heaven doesn't sound a lot better than here, so no, thank you." And then we walk away, going, "Yeah, why? Why did I start this conversation anyway?" It's too thin the way we've talked about it. It's too small, it's too one-dimensional, and perhaps the biggest problem with it, with the way that I described it is, it's not actually how Jesus and the writers of the New Testament described good news. It's so much bigger. It's so much better. It does have the power to transform your life. It is worth taking into the center of your life and then so much so that you are overjoyed, that you celebrate and say, I have to tell somebody else. The good news is good enough, but we actually need to know what it is. If we were to put it into one word, what is that good news in one word? It's not sin. It's not cross. It's not salvation. It's not heaven. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. One word. Good news comes from the word gospel. And you know the four biographies that we have of Jesus? They're called the gospels. Do you know why? And they're, they're called the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John. It's not because it's the good news about those guys. I mean, they were good guys. But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. The gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke. The gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark and according to John. The good news of what? Jesus Christ. And the whole Gospels are what? His birth, his life, his teachings, his work, his relationships with people, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. It is the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news in one word is Jesus. But we're going to actually take a few more than one word. We're going to go with 30 words over the next six weeks. And we actually, the cool experience, we're videoing from a different place there. you see a little more light. We have a church uh, in our family in Bolton who's going to be tracking with us. So guys, shout out to you. They're going to be tracking with us over these next six weeks to say, what is the good news? And I have been praying about this actually for months. And, And in some ways, I didn't even realize it. I've been praying about it for years in my own life and in the life of our church. Saying if we knew what the good news really was, we would celebrate because it would be changing us. And we wouldn't be able to help but tell other people. And all we tell them is, look, I don't have the answers to all of life's questions, but I need you to know this. I, gotta, I love you too much not to share this with you. And so my hope and my prayer for you, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, if you're a skeptic, if you're a doubter, if you're a believer, If you're a long time part of the woodwork in a church, you grew up in the church, or this is your first time, or it's been a first time in a long time, that somehow over these next six weeks and through these 30-some words, that you would have an experience, an encounter with the greatest news you have ever heard, that it would touch your life in such a deep way that you'd say, this is truly amazing, and it's worth sharing. And so that's where we're going to go these next few weeks. Um, Where do we begin Well, we don't begin with sin. <laughs> Oftentimes, like, I think for some of us been in the church, well, that, that's sort of where we start. And, and I would say it's kind of like starting the story of the Bible in Genesis 3 because Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis 3 is where we find that sin comes into the world and everything breaks up. And, and the good news actually doesn't start with the bad news of Genesis 3. It starts with the good news of Genesis 1 and 2, which is the story of God and his people. And one of the amazing verses in the, in the beginning of the, you know, is it explains the beginning of humanity. Is we see God creating human beings, to be in relationship with them, and one of the verses it says that God actually breathed the breath of life into the first man and first woman. This idea of the breath of God and the word life I've said to you before, right? The Greeks and the Greek version of the of the Old Testament, the Greeks had two words for life. One was bios, the other one was Zoe. And bios sounds like biology; it relates to sort of the flesh and blood of life, but Zoe is the word that you and I all talk about when we talk about, I want to feel, oh, and I feel like I'm alive. I want to really live. It's the, what's the French call the joie de vivre, vitality. So bias is biology, zoe is vitality. And it's so interesting when it describes the beginning of the world that God is breathing vitality into the human race. The story of our lives begins with us being made alive with a vitality, a desire, a capacity, a longing to feel alive the thing that every one of us is chasing whether you are chasing the next promotion or jumping out of an airplane it's 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 zoe it's it's vitality that you are after and it's interesting that the scriptures describe the good news that god actually created us for that that's not that's not a waste of time God was not a minimalist saying, so we need some people to tend this earth that I made and got to make them capable enough. He's like, no, I made this beautiful world. I made it beautiful from the top to the bottom and I breathe life into you. And this picture we get at the beginning, the good news is that all of life, in a sense, rotated around the center, which was God. Relationship with God was the center of life. And so when sin comes into the world, the first thing that happens is the relationship between human beings and their life-giving God. Was broken. And so here's the thing: the greatest problem you and I have is not sin. <laughs> it's a broken relationship with the giver of life. Sin is the reason, but the greatest problem is that we are living apart from God. And so if you were to walk out of here and say to someone or your close friend who's been struggling through something, or just someone you've known for a long time and say, you know what, I think I know w- w- what the problem is in your life. <laughs> Instead of saying to them, you're a sinner who needs saving you don't have enough vitality in your life. And you know what? Every one of us would say, that's true. I want more. The greatest problem you have in your life is you're actually disconnected from the source of life. This is the problem. The bad news part of the good news that the good news begins actually with God in relationship with us. And then relationship was fractured. And if you look at the next 38 and a half books of the Old Testament, I can, you should read them, but I'll summarize it for you in two sentences. God relentlessly pursuing the reconciliation of that broken relationship and human beings unable to stay in it. God relentlessly pursuing the reconnection of what was broken in the perfect world he made. And human beings, whether through religion or whether through Uh, politics or whether through military might or whether through love and reproduction and family, unable to find life again. And you know what? Actually, if you read the whole account, it's pretty messy. It's pretty depressing. There's stuff in there. I mean, it's certainly not boring. (laughs) It's depressing. As we see humanity, in a sense, either trying to or just living without a relationship with God. And yet God continuing to pursue them and them continuing to say, you know what, we will do this our own way. It's really bad news, which is why the opening of Matthew's good news, Matthew's gospel, starts like this. And Nellie read it for you. You might think, why are we reading a Christmas account today? It's not about Christmas, okay? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Hey, we're back up, Yes. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What? Before they came together, she was still a virgin. She's pregnant. Joseph doesn't believe her, obviously. But because he was faithful to the law, so she had obviously cheated on him. That's why she was pregnant. In his mind, that's what he thought. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He was a good guy. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he would considered it, made his plan, He goes to sleep and an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said to the prophet some five to 700 years before. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In ancient biography, they almost always began with a birth account because the stories of how... A Person was born, told you something about what their life would be, and so um, the the family they were connected to, what kind of family pedigree did they have? Were they wealthy? Were they noblemen? Were they, um, you know, uh, priests? Were they whatever? What what kind of the family importance? Where they were born? What part of the city? Who actually came to their birth and celebrated it? All of that gave an indication of who and how important this person was. And in Jesus' story, and in Matthew's account of the good news, parents, good pedigree, eh, poor people. Where was he born? Someplace sort of renowned? No, an animal cave. Who came to his birth? Well, sort of glue-sniffing, untrustworthy shepherds. That's, that's what they were like. So what made this child special? Matthew says, not any of that. This child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This child had a birth like no other birth. and Because of that, they called him something. That will change the world. This is where Matthew begins his good news. The opening words of the good news message are Jesus is God with us. God with us is the beginning of the good news. This Jesus, conceived not like anyone else, is God with us. Actually, that idea, that term is a loaded statement. Because it represents the fact that God's initiative to his people had never changed. His desire to be reconciled with them had never changed. Because what it actually means is not only God with us, but God for us and God one of us. The name Emmanuel, God with us, God for us, God one of us, God with us. And each of these things in a sense stand out as so unique than every other world religion, every other world union. You know, we often say, well, aren't kind of all religions the same? They sort of basically preach the same thing but the name on the door is a bit different and the name of the God's a bit different and the name of the holy book's a bit different but isn't kind of the same? You will not find this anywhere else. you find pieces of it. But together in one, Jesus being God with us is so incredibly unique. Why was it good news? <laughs> For God to be with us meant that there was no stairway to heaven that we needed to build to get to him. That if the greatest problem you and I had was our fracture in our relationship with God, that we are people disconnected from the source of true vitality, true living. That God himself is not deterred by time. He's not deterred by our mess. He's not deterred by our disinterest in being reconnected with him. He has recklessly and relentlessly pursued reconciliation with us all the way down where we are. God with us. Every other religion, worldview, system, improvement, whether it's, whatever it is, is all about what we need to do or what we can do or what we have the potential to do or how we need to build the stairs to get back to ultimate reality. And the good news of Jesus Christ begins with these words. God is actually among you, with you. But if he's with you, it also means he's for you right? And so many people that I talk to, and sometimes even in my own life, I think, is God against me? Right? We often wonder, is is God against me? Because it feels like sometimes he's against me. And if I were to just look at some of the data in my life or the world around me, I wouldn't, I'm not really sure. (laughs) Is God for me? (laughs) And in Jesus, the good news of God with us means he is for us, because if he has pursued reconciliation with us all the way down to actually coming into our world, then he is definitely for me and not against me. That's good news. Is God for you? Yes, he is. And you would say, well, how do you totally know? Look at Jesus. Look at who Jesus was for. He, in a culture that was only about men, he was for women and children, too everywhere he went. He wasn't just for men. He was for women and children. He, he wasn't just for the white-collar people or the clerical-collar people. He was for the blue-collar. You know, I'd rather be a blue-collar man. In the song. That's about, it's about Jesus. He was a blue-collar man. He was a carpenter. 30 years or whatever, those years, you know, wasn't working from zero, but you know what I mean. He spent more years working as a carpenter than he did as the Messiah-revealed Son of God. He is for a people of every social class. He is for people that would say, I'm too dirty or I'm too messed up to be close to God. In fact, he was so for them that the people who were close to God said, you can't be close to God because you're for all these people that are so far away from God. Is God for me? Yes, he is. He was for the sick and the broken and the marginalized that the rest of the society said, well, if you're that way, you must be cursed. You don't belong. And Jesus said, no, God's kingdom is full of people. Is God for me? Yes, He is. It's the good news why it begins God with us, God for us. <laughs> and then you can almost, it's almost hard to say out loud God, one of us. What? That God would actually, you know, empathy is right, the big thing, right? Say sympathy is no good, empathy is what, you know, can you really walk in someone else's shoes? If you can, You know how to love them. God, one of us, walking in our shoes. As a human, who bled when when he was cut, who wept when he was sad, who was angry when he got exercised in his spirit about the things in the world that should not be injustices, the grip and the cruelty of religion, brought out the real Jesus, the humanity of Jesus who faced rejection, abandonment, false accusation, and even death. God, actually, one of us. It's mindful. It's the beginning of the good news. That God is with us. That he's for us. That he's one of us. And you know what it does? It, it answers this question that we really want to know. Does God really want to be in relationship with me, and would I want to be in relationship with him? Right? Like if we're honest, that's that's the that's we want to know. Does God really want to be in relationship with me and would I want to be in relationship with him? Well, this this part of the good news answers that question. Yes, he does. He has done everything possible, not because of what you have done, and not on your behalf or what or what you work you needed to do, but God did everything in his power to come to us, to be with us, to be for us, to be one of us. It answers that question, but it also says, well, would I want to be with God? Because it's interesting when you read some of the Old Testament accounts of the way people related to God, there was always a bit of distance there. And sometimes they were happy for other people to go. You, you go meet with God and tell me about Him, right? And sometimes people have that. It's like people always say to me, you know, when, I, when, um, uh, when they find out I'm a pastor, oh, pray for me. You know, you go, you go, go. Go talk to God for me. Help me. I would say, you know, you can pray too. I had my one friend who I used to work with, Karen. Every so often he, he would just go into a cursing storm and he would freak out and he's like you know, Jesus, and I would say, yeah, you can, you can totally pray to him. I was like, Phil, are you praying again? Uh, I know. I was like, you really can, you know. Huh. But people have this sense of distance, okay, of the priest or some holy person or someone who's better than me, you go. And, and Israel actually even had that kind of relationship. They'd send Moses to send the priest, and, and they would be better to stand at a distance. But Jesus, when you read the life of Jesus, what do you read? The crowds, the crowds, the crowds. They pressed in on him wherever he was they wanted to be. They broke into the roofs of houses to meet where he, because they couldn't get in the front door. And that guys, Jesus, this is the last time you're coming here. Honestly, I love it here, but the roof, like seriously. They're breaking in to see him. They're carrying people. They're calling out his name in the streets, blind people, people who can't walk. They're grabbing his, the hem of his garment as he walks by. They're climbing trees to see him. Even the people who didn't believe him were skeptical about him, angry with him, everyone who loved him, wasn't sure, they were crowding in on him. Is God someone we would want to be close to? Yes. Right? It answers this question. Without Jesus, you could never answer the question. You would never really know. You couldn't just conclude it by looking around at the universe or looking through history. In Jesus, we see God is for you, not against you. He Not only does he want to be with you, but he's someone you long to be with. actually begins to answer those questions that we have. God for me? Does God love me? Does God really care about me as a person? In Jesus, we see how personal he was. In fact, even though there were always so many crowds, he was always stopping to talk to individuals, and they were such remarkable conversations, the gospel writers writing down, remember this, remember that. Remember that time we were going somewhere, there's crowds of people and he had this big mission to do and some person grabbed the hem of his coat and he said, stop, who who touched me? Like, what what do you care? He wanted to see who it was that was reaching out for help. Goes to the woman at the well in the middle of the day, a woman who would, you know, has sort of felt like she had made a mess of her life, sort of lived in shame. Jesus goes, takes the long way around, actually. Why? Just to meet her. We have a written personal account of this conversation. Does God care about me as a person? Does he know what I'm going through? Yes. Does he know what I'm going through sometimes when I'm at work and saying, I'm better than this? <laughs> you think Jesus sometimes put down his hammer? Say, God, I'm better than this. I can do more than this. Does Jesus know what it's like for you to have your closest friends feel like you've hurt them when all you've tried to do is love them? Does Jesus know what it's like to feel misunderstood, to feel abandoned, rejected? Jesus know what it's like to be poor? Not knowing where his next meal was coming from. Do I know that God cares about me as a person? Yes. What does God look like? You can't see God. How can you believe in him? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Now, some of you might say to that, okay, well, that's, you know, if you're not sure, like, yeah, but how? Okay, he said that. How do I know Jesus was God? He said that. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And just a little pause here. I heard something years ago from a, 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 like a podcast mentor of mine, doesn't know me, but I know him, Timothy Keller. He said, he said this, if you're struggling with the person of Jesus, you've heard me say this before, you need to make two lists. One is the top 10 most influential people in the world. Is Jesus on that list? Got to be. Even if you say he's 10. I mean, he's one, but even if you say He's 10. billion people in the world call him Lord and Savior. had more songs written about him than anybody in the world, in every language. There isn't only one place in the world that worships Jesus. There's people, there's churches everywhere you go to go to small towns in Africa. They don't have a post office. They don't have a grocery store, but they have a church. There's a cross, the universal symbol for what? For Jesus. Is he the most influential person in history? Somewhere in that top 10 list. Now put next to it the list of the top 10 people who claim to be God. There's only one person on both lists. doesn't prove everything but it certainly says this you cannot just dismiss him because you read a time magazine article one day saying the gospels weren't true you cannot just dismiss him because a university professor or your dad said that doesn't make any sense jesus said if you've seen me you've seen god see friends i think I think what we need to do is start to understand that we can't answer all the questions that we have about God and that other people have about God, but we need to get really good at saying, you know what, I'm not sure about that, but let's look at Jesus. You know, does God hate gay people? Because there's this church, and I heard this thing, and I read this article. Okay, well, let's look at Jesus. Where did we get the values of tolerance and love for people who think differently and act differently than we do? Where did we get that from? It seemed to me that Jesus actually didn't care about any of the boundaries that the rest of society puts up. Between religion, between gender, between socioeconomic status, Jesus was always going out and saying, I am for everyone. Does God hate gay people? No. We can read the Gospels and say, absolutely Well, what about, uh, there's so much suffering in the world. You know, if, if God were really good, why isn't he doing anything about suffering? Saying, well, I don't know, but let's, let's look at the life of Jesus. And, and actually, the scriptures say that he was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And it seems like Jesus spent most of his ministry time moving towards people who were suffering. And in a culture, in a worldview, it would say, well, if you're suffering, you must have done something bad in your history. It was sort of the, the Jews had some form of karma kind of wrapped up in that, right? And Jesus went towards those people all the time. And in fact, he said to all his followers, if you do this for anyone who's suffering, it's like you're helping me. And we know it actually catalyzed a world movement of people that were so bent on helping the poor and the suffering and the weak that even the mighty empire Rome finally fell to its knees 300 years later and said, we cannot fight this movement anymore. Almost every humanitarian organization in the world has its roots in the Jesus movement. <laughs> does God care about suffering? Yes, he does. Does he call his followers to get involved in it? Yes, he does. Does God care about that? Well, isn't the Bible really violent and bloodthirsty? Well, you know what's interesting? Jesus has the most peace-loving, peacemaking message the world has ever known. Who was it that said, what credit is to you if you do good to those who are good to you? But I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you, turn the other cheek. And then he ultimately displayed that value on the cross when he died. And then many of his disciples in his core circle died the same way. And Jesus sent that message to a bloodthirsty and violent generation and changed the way that we see power. Sometimes we just need to say, I don't know all those answers, but I know Jesus. I'm not sure about that, but let's actually go to Jesus. Because the good news in one word is Jesus. Is it possible that the doubts and struggles and uncertainties that you and I have in our relationship with God is because we just don't know Jesus enough? And that God has actually said, I am with you. I am for you. I am one of you. Come to me. Jesus is always inviting people to come, people to come. You know, it's interesting in the the whole Mary Joseph story, right? Mary's the believer. Joseph is the skeptic. I mean, Mary could be the only first true believer because she's the only one that knew for sure she was a virgin and she was pregnant. And she's like, okay, something's going on. But Joseph, he just had one trippy dream to go on. He probably went as a skeptic, but he went. And both of them encountered the good news the same way by watching his life. At the end of it, when after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, I mean, Joseph, his father, had passed away. But in that room of 120 that had stayed faithful and still believed and had become convinced that he was who he said he was, his mother was there and his brothers were there who earlier on in life had said, what are you talking about? We grew up in the same home as you. They had become believers. Why? Believer and skeptic alike saying, I'm going on the journey and I watch it. And so here's what I want you to do for these next six weeks. You have a little reading plan that was handed out to you that's going to take you through Luke and then Acts, which is actually you know, sort of two volumes by the same author about the story of Jesus, and then the story of the church, the Jesus followers, Luke, Acts, and then the Gospel of John. And over these next six weeks, there's five readings a week, so you can take the weekend off, read other stuff, but track with us on this journey. So I want to say, watch his life closely. And maybe some of you, you haven't read in a long time, or you have a hard time with it, whatever, but I want you to say, invite somebody else to watch with you. Take a step of faith, and to say to another person, say, hey, I'm doing this. Do you want to read with me the biography of one of the most influential people in history? How bad can that conversation go? Let's read together and watch and see. In the end of um, one of the Gospels, there's a story of Jesus encountering one of his disciples who was really skeptical about who he was. His name was Thomas it was after Jesus had risen from the dead, some of the other disciples had seen him. And now once he rose from the dead, they really believed, okay, everything you said about yourself is true. And Thomas is like, well, I wasn't there. And unless I see with my own eyes, unless I can touch the wounds in his hand and touch inside and see it was the guy that I saw die on the cross, I won't believe. And so Jesus appears to him in this gracious way, right? Because Jesus is so gracious with us, even in our doubt and our skepticism. And he comes and says, Thomas, touch and see. And Thomas says, I believe. And then he says this amazing thing about you and I. Did you know that? You are in the end of the gospel. He says this, Thomas, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who believe in me even though they have not seen. That's us. I often think, oh man, if I was only there, if I, if I could have seen him and touched him, seen the miracles, then I would believe, then I would never doubt, then I would, and Jesus says, no, no, there's blessing for you who didn't see with these eyes, but whom the eyes of your heart are opened to believe in me even though you have not seen. And so this is why I want you to watch his life and take this journey because there's blessing in it for you. I want to do something at the end as I was praying for you and praying for me and thinking like we've done this a couple times before, we've auctioned off prayers, right? So here's what I want to do. Some of you, are struggling and have struggled with doubts about, is God for you? And, and is he close to you? And, and I, want, I want you to know through this series, I want to pray for you that you would actually see and know in the deepest part of your heart, like Nancy said to us this morning, that God is good, that he is for me. How many of you need that prayer? Just say it. Yeah, I need it. We're auctioning that one off. Just put your hand up. Say me. Okay, there's some of you. Some of you, maybe it's been a long time since you've actually read the gospels and encountered Jesus and felt like the reading of the word has been alive to you. How many of you need a like a fresh encounter with scriptures? Say, I need that. Take it. You guys are so quiet. It's an auction, man. Say I want that. I want that. You pray for me? I'll take it. Don't leave this morning and say, you know, no one, one, one prayed for me. Take it. How many of you have people in your life that's saying, I'm so desperate to share this with someone else, but I I don't know how and I don't know when and and it doesn't seem like anybody really wants to know this good news and I just want it to flow out of me and I want others to see it. How many of you want that? Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. I was praying about that last night. I said, God, I know this is true. Sometimes I lose heart to think that this is really good news. Amen. Tony's going to come up and just pray for us and if you put your hand up, whatever... Just receive the hat that God would do something new
0: in your life. Let's pray together. You can just reach out your hands, too, if you want, just in a posture of receiving. You know, we're going to the one who, you know, the the good news that we're longing to hear and to receive more is this person of Jesus who we're asking for. We know he's going to answer these things with yes. Jesus, I even think about how you know, the word says that, that ultimately you are God's yes to every one of our heart's cries. Uh, you are the great amen of God. Because in you, the living God has shown himself to the world and to each one of us. And so Jesus, we cry out to you because we know that so often um, we ourselves are cynical, skeptical, dull, blind, and in need. We are all the things and all the people that you have come to show yourself to. And so we cry out to you, God. I pray especially for anyone here that is just struggling to believe that you are, th- that you are with them. That maybe uh, um, um, trying, striving, struggling, trying to be good enough, trying to prove their worth or their worthiness to themselves, to others, to you. Jesus, remind them, show yourself to them as the one, the one true God who is with them who has kind of like cleared away all of this stairway stuff that we so often try to claw and scratch our way to you. You have come all the way to them. Pray for those of us who are struggling to really believe that you are for us, that you are for them. God, remind them that you have come for the weak, for the broken, for the hurting, for the lost, for the blind, for the sick. You've come to bring um words of life you have come to bring zoe life into our lives and into this world god um i I pray for all of us who um, are struggling to believe that you you came like you came to be one of us you came to be one of us that you fully know and understand what it is to be human that you fully know and understand the weakness and the brokenness that we uh we experience in all sorts of ways in our lives um, that you can relate to us, that you, that you know us by name, that you know all the details, all the stresses, the anxieties, the difficulties, the challenges, the longings, and the ambitions of our hearts. Why? Because you lived it as well. And y- you came to, um, to, again, to breathe life, to redeem, to make new all of these things in us that we know are meant to be different, um, but we don't know how to get there. Um, you're the one, Jesus. Who makes all these things new you you are the one who enables us to get there so Jesus just through this series through these next several weeks we just pray more and more you know like we pray Thomas's prayer we want to see you we want to see and hear and touch and you know we want to taste and see that you are good Um, not with our physical eyes but we want to like receive that promise that you said blessed are those who don't see and yet still believe who see with the eyes of our hearts and know that you are good, Jesus. So we just give you that prayer, that longing of our hearts, and we look forward to the many ways that you're going to answer that over the next several weeks as we continue to dig into this series. We pray in your great name. Amen.
2: Before I give you the benediction, I want to just thank our tech team this morning for making do with uh, some Crash Lyrics. Thank you, guys. The only thing better than good news is when someone else says, but there's more, right? And it gets better. And so I just want to bless you with, this is just the beginning of the good news, that what God has done in your heart, he has more for you. And that over these next six weeks, you would anticipate and you would long for it. And maybe you'd even share this. And maybe there's somebody that you say, you got to get here next week. or You got to get online. If you're going to be away, if you're traveling or whatever, this is online. I just want to bless you with an experience of more, that what God has done in your heart this morning is just the beginning. Did you receive that? Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Would you just have a seat for a couple of announcements?